Hi, everybody. Welcome to uh, the finale of Season 6 of Deep Space Nine, uh, podcast of Sam at Babel. This is Matthew. And this is Kevin. And uh, as aforementioned, we're going to be doing Tears of the Prophets. Um, kind of feels like they're sort of finally getting back to <laughs> the Dominion War after sort of an interlude for a while um, of... You know, hit or miss episodes, I think it's fair to say. Um, you know, so on that score, good thing. But then, of course, you know, maybe there are things that aren't so good about this episode uh, in particular. Uh, I mean, so Kevin, season seven is sort of where everything comes to a head, right? Yeah, um, they resolve a lot of plot lines. Yeah, I'm thinking about see, uh, about this episode, and I'll, I'll, I'll I don't want to you know comment on it before we watch it, but I, I understand certain things they had to do both in terms of the plot arc they needed to ramp up the war and then deal with uh, Terry Farrell's departure, which I I want to say I was pretty aware of at that point. I think TV Guide had let that bombshell drop in the weeks leading up to the finale, so I knew who was going. Um, I think on the first half they succeed. I think it puts the war on an interesting footing by the end of it. Um, there's a sense that there's a progress but at a cost type stuff, and that that's that's compelling war drama. Um, I'll say I'll save my thoughts on Dax un- until we get there because I have several at the time and, and and now. Yeah, yeah. For me, I wasn't watching this uh, live. Um, you know, I was getting this six months to a year after the fact on VHS. So uh, it was not something I expected. <laughs> and we'll talk about it when we get there. So why don't we get ready to press play? Um, I'm queued up. As am I. So let us all press play together. In three, two, one, press play now. It's never a good sign when things are in a Bajoran temple, if you ask me. I mean, I like the continuity knot, I suppose, of the Gratitude Festival, but I've never liked spoken Bajoran. We've talked about this. It it sounds like a made-up language. Yeah, it doesn't have the... It doesn't have... It never has a cadence. Like, yeah, uh, the Kl- Klingon, Klingon does. does um, Ferengi managed it, but I want to say that's probably just Armin Shimmerman. Um, well, they only did it for, like, one episode, so... And episodes that start focused on uh, the Kira Odo relationship also don't have the best track record. Um, it's interesting that they're fighting. I mean, thank goodness, because ugh. Yeah, yeah, I'm <laughs> glad that it's like lovey dovey. It just makes me want to bark. I, I get that. I also think this is a very sitcom fight. You know what I mean? Like, this is not a actual disagreement adults have about the course of their relationship. Oh yeah, yeah. Like it's like Odo did something stupid, like 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 a sitcom of like the you know dopey Tim Taylor blundered into something and his shrill uh, wife is gonna dress him down for it, like every sitcom ever. Um, so well, that, and you know they're doing the sitcom acting reasonably well. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I've I've 
they're both good actors and they're trying. I, I I don't think they ever quite get over their own lack of connection to the plot, which is not really a sin because I don't think there's much of a plot to be connected to. One of our commenters actually likes the Odo Kira relationship, and I almost want to dedicate like a podcast interview with her so we can really dig into that because I'd be fascinated to hear someone give it a full-throated defense. Yeah. It, is there anybody else who likes this relationship? That would be a fascinating roundtable discussion. Um, and uh, we were talking about it was the Christopher Pike Award he was just awarded, right? Yep. A nice little, I like that touch. You know, it's, I always kind of wish they would focus in on it and that we would see a, you know, a little wheelchair. But <laughs> that might have been too much. What, what, what it beeps. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so uh, it's interesting that it takes so long to get this medal. Um, but then, of course, the sort of teaser message is you know, that uh, they're finally going to take the fight to the Dominion. Which, I guess that's sort of the writer's way of saying we're going to stop beating around the bush, you know, and you know having one-off episodes for a while, and we're going to actually get to the main plot. Uh, I guess it's kind of a thing when you have a twenty-six season episode or a twenty-six episode season. Um, there's just you couldn't possibly focus all 26 episodes on something like that. You can't maintain the intensity. You can't maintain the narrative. Yeah, as, as we learned uh, in Battlestar Galactica. Well, um, I mean, if any shows come close, it's been Battlestar. But yeah, there's always the boxing or drinking episode. Don't do boxing episodes. I want to get in a time machine and tell Brandon Braga and Ron Moore, never, ever, ever do a boxing episode. <laughs> um, as far as the... I. I actually like the broad strokes of the progression of the war with the Dominion because you can you can divide it into two acts. There's the first half thus far where the Federation is actually losing. And then after retaking Deep Space Nine, there seems to be, if not an outright uh, detente, but it's the war is not being as hotly fought. And I enjoy um, any depiction of war that's something other than brave men perpetually throwing themselves on the beach at normandy like because that, that that's not how a war functions it has phases and you know you may not be aware of what phase it is until after the fact because that's how history works but i i appreciate the idea that the because both the federation losing against the dominion for a while and not actively pursuing the war once they were in a stronger posture both sound authentic like the federation's conflict approach is resolution and avoidance at almost any cost so it, it makes sense that if the dominion fell back to cardassian territory that the federation might not urgently push uh the war at that point at least not right away so i, I was actually fine with that i i like the fine-grained work there on on the war plot well what i wish they would have done um well okay i guess we have to talk about this scene i mean come on writers if you know you're going to be getting rid of Dax, it's is cheap. it really yeah. drama to play up this, oh, we've decided to have a baby angle, or is it just maudlin? It is. You know? Well, also, separately, I they pitched it, and I'm guessing it's Armin Shimmerman again, but he pitches his torch for Jadzia in a much more authentic way. Like, I don't think he actively thinks he ever had a chance, is ever going to have a chance, and even if she breaks up with Worf, he's not next in line, and he knows that. So his pining has a kind of wistful 
realistic quality. And he also he also clearly has the ability to separate out that feeling from the f- actual friendship he has with her in a way that Bashir just never could. So I always found Bashir's pining to be creepy. Yeah. Yeah, he's ne- never been written very well uh, with respect to that. Really, with any romance. Um, probably his best romance was with uh, Lita, <laughs> which is <laughs> not saying much. Mm. Um, anyway, back to the war question. You know, isn't the Dominion, like, in possession of Beta Z right now? Like, isn't that true. a thing? Yeah, that uh, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they got the Romulans in the war now. Well, I just wish that there would have been some stories. You know what would have been, would have been a great DS Nine episode instead of you know the O'Briens for some reason abandon all reason and pretend not to give a shit about their daughter. Uh, instead of that episode, they could have had an episode like undercover on Beta Z, you know, with the resistance, you know, I mean, they did it in Voyager in the holodeck, for Christ's sake, you know, having, you know, the literal Maquis, you know, the French resistance, you know, and, and radio free America, you know, right. Radio free Europe. Uh, I mean, we know so little about the Dominion, you know, all we see of the Dominion are these guys, essentially, and half of them are Cardassian. We rarely see the Founders. We almost never see Vorta. We never see a Dominion world, and we never get an indication of why some people might want to be part of the Dominion or why the Dominion is bad. We just know they're the enemy, right? I, I appreciate I, that. I feel like some, some slice-of-life episodes within the war you know, within occupied territory. Right. They, they at least have to be competent administrators or they wouldn't have survived this long. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter how much military might you have. If people aren't eating, they'll stop caring. Like, all right. So now we have that the inter- said. So, yeah, like you know, we're here with Ducat and Damar and Leun. That's usually a good thing. Oh, yeah. They're all good actors and they're all bringing it. I have to. Uh, how do I feel about this plot? Um, the Pare thing. I'll, I'll I'll wait till we actually get well, there. Well, first, I cannot believe that Ducat has forgiven Damar for shooting his daughter. Well, he's supposed to be insane. I mean, I I, I think that was laid out pretty clearly in in Waltz. The man is unhinged. Oh, I agree, but. You know, I don't think he's taken leave of. Wouldn't he be angry at both Cisco and Damar? I just can't see him sort of sublimating his rage against Damar. To you Cisco, know, focusing it entirely on Cisco. Uh, I would much rather have had this be. Uh, Damar doesn't know where he stands, you know, and is afraid and is always looking behind his back or something. I also kind of don't believe that they would even let him back this close right this would i mean i understand for set purposes you can't have you like we can't build every room on cardassia but it does seem odd they would let him into the cnc right there i mean 
I imagine that map alone behind them is probably a pretty decent intelligence find if you had it. So, that being said, Ducat does crazy super well. Like, Marco Limo can really bring it with, like, the barely simmering psychotic break. He He's scary. And in a different... Like, there's something about his tone of voice and his carriage that is different than previous scary Ducats. So, well done. And so we need a Bajoran artifact. The, one of the artifacts of plot movement. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah well, I, the, the, thankfully, the, it's a little different this time. But. Yeah, the whole Bajoran mythos just, just never worked because they never. They needed all this stuff sketched out, at least beforehand. Um, yeah, what you have to do is, you know. And it takes some exposition to do it, but you have to lay these seeds earlier so right. it feels organic. Like yeah, I'll say I like this meeting scene because it it feels busy. Like I don't know, like I like all the people in the room. Everyone has aides and everyone has, pe like attaches and stuff. This feels like a high level diplomatic meeting. The Romulans have certainly improved their fashion sense. Yeah, it's much less upholstery. I mean, it's still upholstery, but it's not as couchy as it was. I miss Vreenak, though. Yeah, Vreenak was good. Um, I will I miss... I just want to say it's a fake again, you know? Yeah. I, I, I liked Kreetak. I liked both actresses they had for Senator Kreetak in Season 7, actually. And I love Martok. Martok's just a fun character. And I, I love the smug way he was clearly goading him and just quietly drinking water like an asshole. It's, it's a good scene. Yeah, I think Martok's a little too blustery here. Like, I kind of don't know how he ever gets invited to these things. Well, also, I mean, and the Martok we've seen in other episodes is capable of some big picture work, you know? Yeah. But I agree. This is, you know, generally speaking, a nice scene. Well, here's how you show conflict. And I'm not... Uh, I just read that the trailer for Star Trek Beyond is supposed to premiere during the Star Wars premiere. So I'm oh, thinking about JJ Abrams again. And it's like this is how you just portray a complex conflict. You have three easily identifiable groups of people with related but not identical goals and a history. It infuses the conversation and everyone presents their point of view in an organic way that these people would. Why is that guy wearing the old uniform? They ran out. Yeah, well, obviously. <laughs> it like I could kind of like ignore it. When well, it, it was, was collar versus no collar. Right, but... right, yeah. When it was like season one versus season three, you could just pretend. Well, and he's not even wearing the old DS nine uniform. Yeah, and I'll say this is good bluster work on Cisco's part. Like he's powerful without being overly shouty. Okay, I like the character of Vic Fontaine. I like James Darren. I think he has that Rat Pack vibe down cold, obviously. And I like, and I love a good jazz standard. Um, I'm not going to deny that. I do think they stumbled onto an interesting idea with Vic and then kept going back to the well a lot. Like, I just find it hard to, like, 
I'll say, like, I think it's only a paper moon is really the best the character does because they use him in an interesting way to explore the interior emotional life of an interesting character. But, the, like, everyone comes to Vic to drown their sorrows. That I mean, for more than a month? Like, that just seems creaky to me. Well, it's a bar within a bar. Right. That's just kind of strange in and of itself. It's strange to me that who's in charge of the bar right now? Like I just, (laughs) Cork seems to be the kind of guy who does not delegate well. Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't mind James Darren singing. Um, I guess I just mind. Here's a question. They were so proud of themselves for this idea. And then they just kept doing it every chance they got. Um, Well, what I'm, what I'm, I agree with you. Uh, what I'm sort of irritated by is the the sentience of Vic, and I'm trying to figure out why it bugs me here, but it doesn't bug me with the doctor. Well, you the know? doc, the doctor's sentience is treated as an emergent problem, not a designed one. Like yeah. the the ethical quandary related to the doctor is also addressed. Like, so we created this thing that was one not shy of sentience and then due to circumstances cross that line in whatever ephemeral way that happens and now we must take responsibility for nurturing guiding and protecting that life and its autonomy this seems like uh what's the guy's name uh what's his what is it charlie i forget who felix felix his fixed designer intentionally created a character with at least like a baseline with with genuine sentience like it wasn't an accident it was it's not like a hip check philosophical debate for the ages it seems like he really created an independent aware life form yeah i mean he's basically on the level of you know created adversary capable of defeating data right so not only do they not address it it seems it seems like no one has a problem with the fact that this sentient being has been created to be mere entertainment and on some level, and again, those are you could say, well, if I crafted a sentient being, but part of how I crafted him was to desire to be an entertainer, am I limiting him? Is this simply how he's been created? Like, is, the, is it any different than how other people find their passions? Like, those are interesting questions. Like, does Vic have some kind of qualified sentience that is different than my sentience? Like, those are fun questions, and you could ask them, but they just skid Never. right past. Like, his sentience is treated universally as a novelty yeah it's it, they're totally blithe about it and that if there's something i don't really like in my star trek it's blitheness <laughs> star trek is the anti-blithe basically <laughs> you know i mean that and that's one of the reasons that you know you mentioned it so yeah i'm just I I, I I i opened the door it's one of the reasons that the abrams uh, pseudo star trek quasi star trek is so offensive because they're so blithe about everything, you know? Even Star Wars, which, you know, is more blithe than Star Trek, you know, at least treats some of its aspects with seriousness, you know? Like, it takes itself seriously, even as it glosses over various things. Yeah. Uh, but Star Trek is not about glossing over things. It's about digging into things. It's about, as you say, you know, really figuring out what are the implications of this. Okay, so profit scene. This one isn't as bad as some have. Been. No, no, it moves, and they've they've 
toned down some of the overexposure. Um, it, it, this conversation always nagged me, stuff like this, because it's like you're you're non-corporeal beings. Everything that has happened is happening, will happen. It really it starts to call into question free will, and it just seems like you already know what Cisco's going to do because he's already done it. So it just I don't know what they were trying to tell him. Well, yeah, you know, I kind of wish Cisco would ask the question. You know, I mean, and and then particularly when you are place you trying it... to get me to do what you know I'm going to do, or right. are are you warning me to not do? Right. And, and especially uh, given that the in the context of the opening of season seven. It's all of this has been leading to him recovering a heretofore unknown orb. Then all this needs to happen anyway. So is are you setting up the predestinate? Like nothing you did affected it or could affect it. It's it, it's it's one of those where it, it, like the Matrix, like you you introduce the baseline idea you just learned and think it just sounds really cool. I I don't know who this actor is playing the Romulan, but he's good. He's he's craggy and it's a good voice. Yeah, no, he's got a good look, too. Um, I mean, his hair, he doesn't have a big forehead. You know, but it, the look works for him. Uh, the, the, the lack of a deeper arc for the Romulans always was one of, like, the saddest things about the uh, Braga, Moore, Taylor era for me. Because I, I really think had they gotten like a really good two-parter like redemption or, or an arc like the like with all the Klingon politics and stuff, I think it would have been super fun because there's just a there's a calm calculation to the Romulans as portrayed that I think would be super fun to dig into as the centerpiece of a story. Well they needed a recurring Romulan character on this show. Call Susie Plax. <laughs> like Yeah. I mean as who who you know the main cast could you know, bounce off of and have conflict with. And we could learn about that character and, you know, start to care about him or her. Yeah. Uh, and it could be Susie Plaxton. As, as a person. Yeah, it could be Susie Plaxton and then we could prematurely kill that character. This also feels like ground we've tread before, um, especially with the uh, Bajoran admission to the Federation. And what always nagged me here. Uh, on Ross's part was you were more than happy to lean on his quasi mythical status to the Bajoran people when it benefited Federation interests. Like when you needed them on your side, when you needed them to get on board with something, you had no problem with Cisco using that goodwill to make that happen. So it seems disingenuous now to suggest that Cisco is at fault for having split loyalties between his duties as the emissary and duties as a Starfleet captain. Just, just saying. Yeah. I, I mean, I like the conflict. Um, these plazas are always so empty. Uh, anyway, I like the conflict, but I agree that it would be better if Cisco called him out on just what you said. Yeah. You know, that, you know, you've been using me, and now when I'm doing something you don't like, you know, now you're, you know, putting the hammer down. But I like the conflict because it ties in these two, you know, sort of disparate elements. I mean, yeah. the thing about this story and the direction it signals is that for whatever else, it finally sort of integrates two completely unrelated aspects of the show, you know, Bajor mythology and Dominion War, right? And I, I think that's a, a good move 
generally speaking. Whether or not they make good choices with all of it, you know, I think it's a good move because that butane lighter is bizarre. Um, because otherwise, you just you just get annoyed when they switch gears. Yeah, I, get, I appreciate that. That that always reminded me of one of the uh, terracotta soldiers. Yeah, that's a very primitive representation. Not a good grasp on anatomy. No, they were they were too busy busy building spires, marking their location in the heavens, and scrupulously depicting the reflections in waterfalls. Yeah. <laughs> There's some more. Yeah, it's just if, it's just. If anybody delivers the the language well, it's him. But it just still doesn't do it for me. It, I don't think it was written very well. Yeah, that is not a bad effect, especially for its day. That was like the particle field was very well done. I like how he tells him, you may want to stand back. The red contacts. Eh. Well, that's how we know he's evil. Yeah. At least it is in keeping with our previous possession episodes. Kira's eyes were that ghostly blue, white, and Jake's eyes were red. So at least it's technically. Yeah. I kind of wish someone would depart from red as evil. You know, I wonder like, what they, yeah I wonder what that is what that says about humanity because there's plenty of positive places red occurs and well in I life. think it's the blood association yeah. but make blue evil you know just for just for shits and giggles okay I suppose I should give them credit for acknowledging Odo doesn't know how to have a relationship because he's never had one he's only observed it um so maybe maybe had they taken that tack a little more, like been more conscious that Odo doesn't have the framework to have a normal romantic relationship without it, some serious, like explicit, like you would have to be explicit with Odo about your expectations and needs in a way you would not with another humanoid partner because they would have the biological and cultural touchstones to read your expression differently. So maybe that could have been a fun way to make this like they don't quite do it here, but the idea is at least interesting that they're at least acknowledging Odo doesn't have that skill set necessarily. It's weird watching them kiss because his face doesn't move. Yeah, this disgusts me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's because it's interspecies or uh, it just something about it is just so off. It's like in the uncanny valley. Yeah, that's part of it. It's kind of like if you see your brother or your sister being affectionate with a boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, and you're just like, ugh, take it somewhere else. I don't want to see this, you know? All right, I, that's kind of the feeling I get. I will say I did like O'Brien's line, this is an ungodly hour to go to war, and you can quote me on that. The, call me, and he's just a great actor. That was just like a – it's a little throwaway line, but it really sang – I know it's like because especially because the viewing audience knew at this point like the Trekkies knew that she was leaving so it, it is kind of cheap it's like why is she staying back just to get killed basically. pretty much yeah because when what other time was it necessary to leave 
command officers on the station because they've normally divested the entire station of its senior staff yeah um on multiple occasions you wish i was going with you you are in here <laughs> that said you know as far as their romance scenes go this was a pretty decent one yeah Oh, Terry Farrell, what the hell? Couldn't she just stuck it out for one more season? Yeah. Oh, we get Garrick too. Who doesn't love this? Um Do you feel like he should have been introduced earlier? Yeah, he spent enough time on the Defiant during the opening arc that I guess it's not shocking anymore. Um I will say uh, I'll I'll wait till we get to the actual battle, but I do I do like a lot of it. The effects are good. Like that was a good fleet shot. Sure. Uh, there really should be some like Jeffrey Combs should have gotten an Emmy for guest star, or even supporting actor. Just he's only in like three or four scenes, maybe a total of like ten or fifteen lines. But he just brings it so completely. He is absolutely his character, and just it's so good. It's so fun to watch, especially once they realize how much uh, Casey Biggs and Jeffrey Combs could really dig into hating each other. Super fun. Yeah. How do you feel about these weapons platforms? This seems like a almost complete reuse of the mine idea that was in the previous cliffhanger. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe maybe they should have said that like they uh reverse engineered the uh mines from the federation technology that they well, used i mean because they're supposed to be these like self-replicating or, or whatever right know, like so what because it, it, like because i think they mentioned having photon torpedoes or a large supply but it seems where did you put them well they say there's like 500 per thing it's like, where did like... you hide them that is a gorgeous shot. Like the the two ships ramming the Vortra class cruiser is just was a for the day and now it's it's a gorgeously framed and executed piece of uh, of uh, CGI. Yeah, I agree. That was well done. The ships are packed too tightly together, but I understand that at their actual distances, you couldn't get an establishing shot without losing any resolution on said ship, so I'll, I'll let it go. Um, I like the planet work. They look like planets. Though well, I, they, I like the thousand shot from behind the galaxy. Yeah. Um, I like the, the Romulan cruiser. Yeah, all, all the shots are great. The damage is good. The explosions are good. The... Uh, the Excelsior, the, and you can see the Valley Forge uh, taking a beating. It was just a really lovely. And again, you know what? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it again. But you know what's happening in this battle? I know what's happening because they're showing it to me. They're yeah. the ships are moving in a direction. Things are responding. Events are happening. I have a general sense of what is happening in open space because the camera is not jerking there are no lens flares and the camera is far enough away from any one ship to give me a sense of what they are doing in relation to each other so cinematography yeah. right there <laughs> it's um you know they, they do interesting things with scale 
you know, they'll like have several ships in the background, but then focus on one ship, yeah. you know, in sort of a large shot, you know, just, I mean, just happened again, two, three times right now. The CGI is adequate in any sort of individual ship, but the sum is greater than the whole of the parts. You know, if you, if you really focus on some of the individual CGI elements, it's like, yeah, that's pretty. Like some of the hull plating, like burning away to reveal the skeleton underneath it, it's a little rudimentary. Yeah, but it's but collectively, you get a real sense of something. It's super fun. Yeah, and you know, effects don't matter as much as storytelling. Right, and the story is interesting. Like the Federation is advancing, but at a very high cost and to a very bloody way. Like that's a f- interesting story. Uh, I know. know. Resequencing is working. Oh, positive results. We're so happy. Thank you. Thank you. How do you think Terry Farrell felt (laughs) delivering these lines? Um, I think she said, I've read interviews with her. I've seen interviews. Uh, She said they filmed her death scene first thing in the morning because she said she knew she wouldn't be able to handle it if she were like, if it was like her by herself for the close-up shots doing this scene at 11 o'clock at night, she would like, you know, go home and drive her car off a cliff. Um, so they did that first. So I think a lot of this uh, other stuff felt was just very kind of in a haze emotionally. Cause like the big emotional thing had already happened. Like and this just doesn't make sense for the character. She's Why is she even there? Yeah, she's established on like nine non consecutive occasions that she doesn't think the wormhole aliens are prophets and that she's skeptical of the Bajoran's faith in them. So I get that Kira like she would not respond to Kira praying for her and success in the DNA resequencing as that the prophets had anything to do with it. Like that that's just not part of her character. It's this is in in its way, this is certainly as cheap as Tasha Yar's death it's as pointless like it might even be worse because they have the ca- it's worse because they have the character doing stuff out of character well I, I think what makes it worse is that they really sort of beat the viewer over the head with you know what she's losing yeah the only thing that makes this okay is the line that Ducat delivers Not here. I think it's the next. Uh, oh, like when he's walking out. Yeah. And I just, why is this super valuable thing right here? I, I don't know. The neck bridges really make him seem like some sort of monster when he makes that kind of face. Yeah. Also, I, I, I would have appreciated if the eventual Pa Wraith resolution had something interesting to explain about the nature of the prophets and the Pa Wraiths or the formation of the wormhole, the formation of the orbs. Like that could have been the platform by which to give some larger explanation. And you could even do the kind of dualistic. Is it mythological? Is it scientific? It depends on your perspective, blah, 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 blah. You could have done that, but it would have been like interesting to learn something more concrete about this mythos by this story rather than it just being this MacGuffin to get Terry Farrell off the show. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think generally they didn't, I mean, at the end of season seven, we get a bit more about yeah. Pa Wraith versus Prophet. Uh, 
I mean, they should just really go whole hog and give us the history. Yeah. You know, where these regular, you know, animal beings who became yeah. non-corporeal. Like, and and yeah, here's, here's Ducat's line. And Alimo does a great job delivering it because we, we know Ducat fancies himself a far more moral person than he actually is. So just the way he delivered that line was perfect. Like, yeah. He, he's, he's convinced himself he feels genuine remorse and that makes it okay. And it's like, he's, it's wrong, but it's, it's fun. It was a, it's a great line to see delivered. This is good CGI. It's not, it's not great. I, I, the scale is good. Like the, the blur, um, of the planet behind the asteroid is good. The detail of the buildings is good. Um, the strafing shot was good. Yeah, I, I have no problem with any of the CGI. Uh, you know, some of the individual, you know, if, if you get too close, you know. Yeah, I, I'm curious how that would look in, in Blu-ray. Yeah, that would be interesting. I'm curious what resolution they rendered it in, you know, initially. Yeah, I wonder if the... They might have to just redo it. Well, it's interesting. Like, like, are the files sitting somewhere on like a on a thumb drive? I mean, the storage was much smaller and much more expensive back then. So I don't know if they would have scrupulously saved it the way they did the film. Though they saved the film, and that that's not even digital. Like, yeah, I think it's probably exists just on on film at this point. You know, uh, that that's an interesting question. You know, in, in TNG, they filmed all of the effects shots on film and then composited right, them. Right, right. You know, here, these effect shots are being done in a computer. I don't know if they were ever committed to film, and so they might only be on video even. It's, it's an interesting question. Because, you know, digital storage is just... I mean, think about. Do you have any files from 1998, Kevin? Um, I do have a few laptops from college that I yanked the hard drives from because I was so paranoid um, about my data that I just yanked them before disposing of the laptop. And I, I, I found on uh, Newegg like for ten bucks a little like USB case for mm -hmm. various hard drives of various sizes so I could access them. So I do still have some. I have no. I mean, I have stuff from like two computers ago that you know the like a video file that doesn't work anymore because the copy of the copy you know is missing some vital piece of information um yeah. so i have no idea if they're still usable and heaven forbid that i ever actually read any of the papers i wrote in college i'd commit seppuku just <laughs> so i like that you know they're at odds you know because ducat is sort of working on his own agenda yeah i i, I like the continuity touch that he's in a federation shuttle I just kind of wonder how he got in and out of Deep Space Nine. Yeah. You know, and so Ducat's sort of agenda sounds insane to a normal person. But as a viewer, I think you wonder if maybe he's right and it'll pay off somehow. You know, it will be a, a negative thing for 
the Federation and for Major. This is a little on the nose. Yeah, yeah. This is like saving so, Joe. Won't somebody think of the children, Captain Sisko? <laughs> I've always found the Bajorans on the station to be kind of superfluous and annoying. Like what? Yeah, they don't do anything. They just sort of hang around to be there as background characters for quasi-religious scenes. Yeah. And did somebody like rouse them? It's like, oh, time to go, you know, get a group together and be concerned. Everyone's doing a good job with the acting here. I think uh, I'm buying everyone's reactions. I think they could have given uh, Bashir more to do. Why is she conscious? Well, because she needs a good, she needs a line. She needs a like uh, unless she recorded a hologram of herself uh, for her funeral. Um, you know, we need the the audience needs that emotional payoff. No, it just feels cheap to me. I agree, but I mean, our she, baby she, would have been so beautiful. Oh God! <laughs> I mean, how crass and manipulative. Yeah, I mean, especially like I—I I remember my feeling at this moment was this death felt. I knew the death was coming, but it feels cheap. Like it doesn't feel like it has a point or a utility in the story, other than simply to exist. The only thing that saves it for me is that they finally gave Worf his, uh, you know, death scream. Yeah. I feel like there's been one or two times when he didn't get to do the death scream, and it, it bugged me because it was such a continuity point in TNG. I really wish they would have mentioned at some point later the fact that this is the second spouse, you know, or second partner. Uh, that Worf has lost to a season, a recurring villain. Um, yeah. That would fuck with a guy, you know? Like, I, I think there there should be something there. Um, I, well, I would have... And he should... I mean, I guess they don't know that Dukat is behind it. They just found her. No, I think they know. You know, there should be a serious revenge story. Yeah. I mean, Worf should be wanting to hunt down Dukat and kill his ass. Yeah. This is a good speech. This by itself is a good speech, and he delivers it well. Yeah. Well, I like it. I mean, it's acknowledging the past six seasons, you know, of admittedly uh, intermittent development of their relationship. It's an interesting look at the torpedo casing. Yeah. I guess those are some sort of propulsion nodules. I feel like the flag hasn't always had the words United Federation of Planets on it. Yeah, sometimes it's just the... Just the logo. Yeah. And I think it's a stronger design with just the logo. Well, yeah, I, I hate ev every state flag that's just the seal with the name of the state on it. 
is always just super lazy and Illinois is on that list. It's just oh, not yeah. a good flag. Not the worst state flag, but certainly a very bland yeah. and uninspired. Like Chicago's flag is great because it's graphic and bold and doesn't say Chicago on it. Yeah. <laughs> How do we feel about this plot point? The idea that he he's going to leave the station. I like it. You do? I like it. Do you think it feels tacked on or that it wouldn't make sense in context, like Starfleet wouldn't give him the time off? Well, <laughs> I may not like whether they address everything that should be addressed with it, but the idea of getting Cisco off of Deep Space Nine to show how radically disconnected he is with everything, uh, both Bajor and people who are lost and his feeling of destiny, his feeling of place, you know, I like it. Okay, I, I largely agree with that. I was I was expecting you would find the lack of discussion about how he can get time off during wartime to be sufficiently problematic to ding the entire plot point. Well, yeah, so I certainly think they should at least mention that he's taking all of his leave that he's saved up or something. Um, or that he should be fired, you know? Like, he should have to resign his commission or he should be on, you know indefinite hiatus or, like or something some kind like of medical leave or something yeah, yeah. and I, I like the button that we're about to get of uh kira walking into into his office and seeing that he's taking the baseball because because yeah. that was such a major plot point at the end of last season when cisco left it behind as a message to ducat so i actually find that kind of paired scene that's a night that's a soft touch point to make mm -hmm. that's very effective because it's done with such a light hand but he left the little ball pedestal <laughs> that's weird we haven't had the niners episode yet have we no that's uh, that is definitely an esri episode yeah i'm glad he went back to um, I mean, it makes sense he would go home, obviously, as uh, much as much as anywhere. And I love Brock Peters. He, he they have such rapport, and he's so good at it that I know getting to see uh, Joseph Cisco again is going to make me happy. Yeah, it's too bad he couldn't get into this episode. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I like. I mean, this is a great character note because look, when you're going through a really difficult time in your life, don't you just sometimes throw yourself into something mindless? Yeah. You know, so that you can get away, maybe think, but maybe not, you know. It, so this feels very real and organic. So that's one, all, another reason I really like it. Okay, um, yeah, I agree with all that. We'll have to wait till next season to really dig into how well we think what they do with this, but... Oh, yeah. And, of course, you know, the, the whole mythology they... Uh, I shouldn't say mythology. The whole uh, retcon mythology they cook up for Cisco is definitely worthy of discussion and dissection. Yeah. Um, you know, but as of right now, I like that story beat. I like that development for the character. Yeah, I mean, this is a real mixed bag. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff going on in this episode. So that, that certainly can be said for it. A lot happened. Yeah, um, I like the stuff on the war end. Um, I like the... 
I, I like the the politicking and the dynamics and the conversations about the war effort stuff. Um, I don't like Jedzia's death. I think like I, I don't think they actually had to kill the character. It would make sense that a woman with Jedzia's science credentials might be promoted away to a research position or a R&D position somewhere else in the Federation and she would just not be there or promoted to she, how many times has she commanded the defiant the I think it's entirely reasonable Starfleet would say we need we need butts and chairs here's a another defiant class ship for you to command that I, I I don't think they actually had to kill the character to get her off the show well I mean presumably absent the actress they want to maintain the Dax story thread. You know, it does raise some serious questions. You know, it's like, is the Dax symbiont always going to be hanging around Cisco at this point? I well, mean, that nagged me too because they made such a big deal out of the idea that every symbiont is supposed to live their own life, and the first thing the new one does is come back. And I wasn't takes the old job. <laughs> and I, I get the idea that because of the unorthodox way that this particular host was joined, they might relax the rules as part of allowing her to adjust to this. But even then, it's just kind of like it just and they they dealt with it a little, but it really felt like nothing of the Esri host actually survived the joining. Her entire life becomes living jet the the fallout of Jadzia's death. And that nags me. But that's uh, for next season. Would it be better if Jadzia goes out in a blaze of glory in battle? I would have liked the death to count for something. Like you can make the argument in skin of evil that is kind of pointless as it was for the character the point of the death in the story was to be pointless if armis were a better villain it might have had a little more punch therefore um but especially given that that's how they got rid of the last woman who wanted out of her contract early <laughs> it really annoys me it almost feels vindictive in a way like uh yeah it's like you couldn't give her anything more interesting, like some value to the story or hell you set up the entire idea that um, the prophet's intervention uh, with the dominion comes at a cost. A cost yeah. Find a way to tie it together or even explicitly draw that point. Like nope, you said, this in, is the cost. Yeah. You yeah. set in motion a sequence of events that ended in your friend's death and we tried to stop you and you wouldn't listen to us. That's yeah. and I like, that would have made it a lot better. I anything. Agree. Just, ugh, ugh, yeah. And I think the, you know, shameless mugging. Oh, uh, the baby stuff. Like, yeah, just, there's many times in which I wish Jerry Taylor were also on this show just to slap people when they say stupid things around or about women and what they, like, like it's almost like, so I wouldn't have felt her death had she not wanted a child. It just feels weird. Like in order to, in order to ramp up the value of her life, you had to make her quasi pregnant. And I'm like, she's an interesting enough character with the sufficient nexus of relationships to all these other characters I care about that her death is of import all on its own. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Wow, I mean it's a it's a real mixed bag. I guess we got to call it a three as far as writing goes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's good stuff, interesting stuff. The story progresses, certainly. Um, we a new normal has been established. The Federation has made a meaningful stab into Cardassian territory, but Cisco is also now 
out of commission. That is a that is quite the reshaping of the of the chessboard. That's fine. Super interesting stuff. And much like uh, we've talked about before with uh, Cliff with season enders, it's an end that doesn't like the camera doesn't have to come back in on Odo and Kira in Cisco's office talking about it. It can pick it up anywhere they want it to. Yeah, which is it's a good move. You know, you can only do literal cliffhangers so many times before they get annoying. Yeah. Um, and it really he- pens you in. You know, it's like now you have to finish just you know this particular story instead of moving on to bigger things. Um, acting wise, you know, I Marco Limo was very good. Jeffrey Combs was good. Um, Casey Biggs was good. Main cast, though, eh. They didn't get a lot to do. I mean, yeah. Cisco was fine. I mean, he got... I'm not saying they were bad. Yeah. But, yeah. This is a really overstuffed episode, because we haven't even talked about, you know, Vic Fontaine. Yeah. I guess that was the B story, you know? Like, Cork and Bashir, you know, feeling like they blew it or something. Yeah. Uh you know do you think i don't know i mean i wonder if they could have just jettisoned some portion of the story and focused more intently on some interesting aspect of it i kind of never feel like vic fontaine should be in an episode that's not about vic fontaine i agree because i like i whatever it's narrative issues i love bada bing bada bang it's delightful to watch um so yeah, I yeah yeah. Um, acting acting's a three. I think it's solid. It's not, no one failed. Yeah, I agree with that. There were there were no bum notes. Yeah, um, I would put the effects at a four. The battle sequences were good, especially for their age. Like, I mean, that. I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> no, I think I think that's verging on on five territory yeah. for effects uh, because this CGI whether or not it has various seams or anything or, you know, pixels or, you know, flaws, the storytelling of it is better than anything that's been done uh, in previous big battles before. And, you know, oddly, this wasn't the biggest battle, you know, like so far the biggest battle was the battle of DS9, right? Yeah. Um, You know, but this was better than that, you know, just in terms of visual interest and storytelling and, you know choreography and, and things like that um i do think there's a distressing tendency to have some group of people in a room with a map which isn't terribly interesting you know so when they keep cutting back to wayun and damar in front of a map it really blunts the feeling of stakes for their characters and for, for that side of the conflict you know that they're just sort of over a chessboard you know stroking their chins and plucking their tongues and yeah eh. but um I, I think a bigger budget in a more modern show would make a point of them like you know being in some cafe or go like you know like during an intermission at the theater having this conversation like 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 uh, a little more life on cardassia which could be fun but for what it is I, i'm fine with it largely well i'm talking like during battle 
you know. Oh, like, like they should be somewhere we'll have more. have super exciting battle sequence and then cut to them fretting, you know. And that's it's just it's, it's very tonally strange to sort of whiplash you from one extreme to the other. Um, like yeah, maybe it could have been like the classic like White House Situation Room stuff where there's like uh com feeds coming in and maybe a view screen to see what's going on like rather than just being told about it. Yeah. Uh, and you know with the exception excuse me of the Defiant Bridge we never really see much of the inside of any of the ships and so that does tend to give it a bit of a removed quality. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Um, you know, and I guess that's a production note because, well, you know, they didn't spend money on producing that aspect. Uh, I'm sure partially it's a script note, but, you know, it's something I noticed. Yeah, I'll yeah. give you that. So, you know, maybe overall the CGI is a five and the production is a, is a four. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm going to say this is a, a very ambivalent three total. Yeah, I would agree. The, the, the issues surrounding the Dax storyline are too severe. Uh, they really for, drag it down. Yeah, like, ha had there been any slightly less treacly use of her death, I, I think this would be a solid four. Um, so I guess uh, it's kind of an interesting way to end the season, because I think that kind of can sum up my analysis of the season. There's a lot here to like. This is definitely one of the seasons of DS9 that I use to sell people on it, where, you know... In the Pale Moonlight, um, a couple of the Kira episodes that aren't his way. Fun stuff. Um, the opening war arc is very good. And uh, however we rated the individual episodes collectively, there's ambition and scope and entertainment in buckets. Yeah. Um, it, still, it still has that classic DS9 unevenness, and I will freely admit that. It's like, you know, for every In the Pale Moonlight, there seems to be a profit and lace lurking just behind it. Um Oh, well, that's a little unfair. <laughs> okay, the, the highs are... There's it's not one profit and lace. There's only yeah. one profit and lace. There's a few, there's there's a few weaker sort of episodes. There's a few weaker episodes. Yeah, um, they do their best work when they focus on the overarching plots because Ron Moore is very good at taught political stuff. Like, he can just build organically and in an interesting way the next step in a complicated problem. Uh, when they try to veer off the road for the one-offs, I think that's where they run into trouble because they, they, they don't have the same characters on Next Gen and they don't have the same writing style. Like, I think the Next Gen characters were written in a way to allow for those like one-off storylines in a, it's just a different way. So I think, and by season seven, I think they really dig in. I think season seven certainly has fewer um, one-off episodes. I think more of the episodes contribute to the finality of the series um i still really enjoy this season i think it's the best season so far and i think the numbers will will bear that out by a fair degree yeah i, I agree with that you know it's interesting what you said about character focus you know because it was michael pillar who really really pushed that on tng when he took over the writing room um and tng really benefited from it really benefited from the fact that, ah, this is a Geordie episode, this is a Worf episode, this is a Picard episode, right? And Pillar, of course, was one of the co-creators with Rick Berman of DS9. And the first several seasons, uh, 
absolutely followed that structure. You know, this is a Dax episode, this is a Cisco episode, and they weren't very good, right? So it, it's interesting to try to consider what the difference is, and I think it has to do with the actual qualities of the characters and the actors themselves, you know? I think whatever Gene Roddenberry's faults are, uh, creating interesting characters and casting good people for them are not among his faults. I think, you know, I, I think Roddenberry has faults in terms of, uh, you know, maybe going too far with some ideas or, you know, adding the wacky thing here or there. Uh, but when it comes down to it, he's really solid at creating interesting characters, you know, who you want to find out more about right away, you know, that they can hit the ground running with stories. You know, you've got your Picard and Crusher. You've got your you know, Riker and Troy. You've got the, the fish out of water Klingon. You've got the fish out of water Android. You know, maybe they're classic. Maybe they're a little tropey even, but it works. And with DS9, you know, I think Pillar and Berman tried to do that but none of the characters really worked all that well, you know? And so the show got good when they just sort of stopped, you know, doing character-focused episodes and started doing plot-focused episodes, uh, which is odd because, generally speaking, sci-fi shows that focus on plot-heavy stuff tend to just sort of drone and get annoying because you can't relate to it anymore. Um so it's a really interesting yeah. sort of uh, reversal. Yeah, by the time season seven's done, I think I'll have something more interesting to say about the plot arcs and why I found them so entertaining. Because I'm looking forward to rewatching like those last ten episodes again and really analyzing them. Because like I, re- I am too. I remember just being just edge of my seat the whole time. It was just like, wow, interesting stuff and. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I I look forward to that. But for now, I I think season season six is certainly many steps in the right direction. If it's not as many as we'd like, that's life. Um, but from the opening arc, like you you knew the season had a different focus, and when they stuck to that focus, the season succeeds very well. I think. Yeah, I agree with that. When they stick to it, definitely works. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely very excited also to, uh, I mean, they've got a lot of balls in the air. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, it'll be interesting to see which ones get caught and which ones get dropped. Um, you know, and of course, <laughs> we know from hindsight that a few of them do get dropped. Uh, some ideas that they introduce don't work very well. Other ideas, pretty good. Um, I'm very interested to see, uh, Kai win again. Oh, yeah. Love her. Love her. Well, you know, they've done a few interesting things, you know, in, in her most recent stories in season six. Uh, and of course I'm interested to see the evolution of Dukat. Um, I'm interested right now (laughs) in Cisco. And, and his you know, journey, uh, but I do know 
that they're going to go in some weird places with it. Yeah. Yeah. Ones that I'm not terribly enthusiastic about. Um, yeah. Well, we'll have to do our, our write-up and crunch the numbers. And I think you're right that this is – I mean, Profit and Lace is going to bring things down a little bit. But I think you're right that this is probably going to win out so far. DS9 is a, an odd duck because I, I think when we look at all seven seasons – you know, in order, it's going to be almost a sort of linear improvement from the beginning to the end, uh, as opposed to the other shows, which have been, you know, sort of a, a bump in the middle, you know, improvement and then slight decline at the end. Um, speaking of which, uh, you know, we'll see you soon for Voyager season four. Have a good night, everyone. All right. Good night.